welcome to the English Subject Specialists Champions of Change podcast, brought to you by Educate and the English Association. Welcome to the third of four podcasts exploring how English subject specialists can be champions of change. This is considering um, change in their, within their providers, uh, potentially across the world, or maybe even just with one individual student and everywhere in between. We've got four topics we intend to chat about in the series. And in this podcast, we're exploring English as a subject which helps individuals to find their voice. I'm Kate Hazelgrove and I work at the University of Derby as an FE teacher trainer. I also work for the Education and Training Foundation through Touch Consulting. I was an English teacher in FE for about 10 years. We also have two English subject specialists with us to talk about this topic. First of all, Mel, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello everyone, my name's Melanie. I am an early careers teacher. I currently work in an FE college, Kidderminster College, and I am teaching GCSE English. Um, I qualified fairly recently and my first year of teaching actually ended with the start of the pandemic. So I've had quite an interesting start to my career as an FE teacher. Um, And obviously my training didn't include any modules on how to teach online or um, how to deal with the world gone slightly mad outside of the classroom. So it's been quite the learning curve, very challenging, but also I do feel like it's made me more resilient. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Mel. Um, And what an interesting perspective to come from. Ingrid, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Ingrid Kellogg, and I've got around 14 years of teaching English within the FE and adult sector. And I currently work for an FE college in Yorkshire in pastoral management, which involves um, personal, social and health education. And I lead on our cross-college enrichment, equality, diversity and inclusion provisions. Fabulous. Thank you so much. So we've got some really differing perspectives there um, with regards to specialisms and um, sort of length of, of experience, I guess. So... Before we start, I'm going to explain how we're going to do this because we're doing it in a bit of kind of an experimental way. We're going to do part of this discussion in a thinking environment. So um, as I've mentioned in the other podcasts, the thinking environment is a concept created by Nancy Klein, where we take it in turns to share our independent thinking after, be, after being asked a question. No one can interrupt each other, um, but you can always pass to the, to the next person if you don't want to speak. The idea around this is that the quality of everything we do depends on the quality of the thinking we do first. And that is um, Klein's kind of comment on um, the concept behind the thinking environment. And the idea really is that we spend some time, uninterrupted time, thinking through our responses to questions. Um, And the idea that somebody that other people will listen intently without interrupting allows you to develop your thoughts um, in a way that you wouldn't if if you were concerned about being interrupted. So the first two questions that um, I'll pose to these um, these lovely practitioners will be in a thinking environment. We'll then move to a discussion and then we'll finish with another thinking round at the end. So um, we almost always demonstrate an ethics of care, as our friends in JoyFE have taught us. So the first question that I will ask is, how are you? And I'd love to hear it first from Ingrid. I'm fine. Thank you, Kate. Um, it's, it's good to finally get back into college, as it were, back into work in the office and to meet and talk to students face to face and to connect with colleagues face to face. And that's what I'm happy about at the moment. Over to Melanie. Uh, I'm feeling quite similar to you, Ingrid, I think. Um, I'm back in work this week properly and very, very much the same. I'm really enjoying this time before we start teaching to reconnect with colleagues who I haven't seen properly for a long time and do some collaborative planning, which is something that we really missed out on during um, lockdowns. And I'm feeling... Probably the usual pre-September sort of jitters, but I'm also quite excited about being back in the classroom again. Over to you, Katie. Thanks so much. So 
how am I? Um, I'm absolutely exhausted, to be honest, because it's my daughter's fourth birthday yesterday and we had the party of the century on Sunday. Um, but it all went beautifully and I feel incredibly lucky to have such a wonderful family. So I'm feeling really happy. Um, and I'm still on annual leave, so I haven't met any students yet, but we have been interviewing, which has been really exciting because um, I'm starting to build like a, a, a class or a group of students in my head of, of who will be teaching, which is really cool. Um, so if we can move to the next question, uh, and this is again as a thinking round. So what are your values as an English subject specialist? Mel, can I ask you to go first this time? Yeah, I think um, depending on what I was asked this question, it might change slightly. Um, and I think also at different points throughout the year, I might say I have a different response. But at the moment, um, where we where we currently are before teaching begins, I've kind of got three that tend to come to the forefront. So uh, the first one would be integrity. I think it's really important, especially in the context that I'm in, that my my students can trust me. Um, they haven't necessarily have had the best um, journey through education. So I think it's really important from the very first lesson, from that very first week, they can recognise me as somebody that they can trust. And I also think it's really important that I'm honest, not only with the students, but with my colleagues, and then also being authentic with myself, um, accepting my mistakes and being honest about my own strengths um, and also my own weaknesses and not being afraid to ask for help if I need it. Also feeling confident enough to know what my strengths are and sharing those with my colleagues as well. Um, I also think it's really important to practice empathy with the students um, in an FE context we have a wide variety of students from all kinds of different personal and social situations and I think it's crucial that we treat them all as individuals and understand that they all have these different contexts and how that can then have an impact on the way they behave and the way they learn in the classroom and then finally inclusiveness it's really important for me that every learner feels um, that they're valued and included in the classroom and I want them to feel like they're almost part of a team. It's not just a classroom, it's a team environment where we all work together, help each other and also that their opinions are listened to and valued um, because I think I was reflecting on this and sometimes in my own education journey in particular in high school I didn't necessarily feel included so that's something that was not a massive negative for me but it's something I've always been aware of and I'm trying to almost right that wrong in my own teaching practice. Um, over to you Ingrid. Okay th thanks Mel um, I think um, yeah there are three three different values that um, I'd like to talk about as a, a as a subject specialist in English and the first one is um, respect and being respectful of, of language choices um, because I think that all all language use is valid and, and whether that's appropriate to the context and situation I suppose is another matter but I do think that whatever the specific vocabulary phrases and intonations are of the student, that those should be respected, um, as well as being considerate of cultural and social language um, differences. Um, and the second is care. And I think it's important to build care in relationships with students. Um, and in teaching, I'd, I, I don't think that knowledge about the subject matter is enough. I think mostly learning would be impossible if students aren't comfortable inside the classroom. And I think if students feel that you care for them, they'll ultimately learn and progress successfully because that they can feel the support that you're willing to give them. Um, so care is, is the second value that I feel is particularly important in my practice. And then the third one is, um, I agree with you, Mel, it is authenticity and, and, 
And by that, I mean presenting your authentic self to the students as well as ensuring the learning in your classroom is authentic. Um, and I think that students are really uh, looking to make meaning out of what they're doing and asking, why am I doing this? Why do I have to do this? So thinking about how you can make the learning authentic um, is really important. Then students are going to engage a lot more and they're going to see the, the why, um, et cetera, so that when students find that meaning and authenticity in their learning, they're much more likely to engage and to succeed. Over to you, Kate. Thank you so much. Um, so in the last two podcasts, I've talked about how um, I've had a bit of a, a journey of self-discovery with my values as a, as a teacher, um, as an educator, and I've started to realise that I think I'm quite a lot about social inclusion and um, supporting students to have access to opportunities that they, they wouldn't necessarily have access to if they hadn't, um, I don't know, come in my classroom, I guess. Um, and so I thought if I can think of the values that I have in relation to this topic, it might be, um, it might help me to develop those, those thoughts. Um, so Today, I'm thinking that my values in relation to um, students finding their voice will be um, about using English in order to help students to be able to express their points of view um, and realise that their points of view are valid, um, important, interesting. Um, and also giving, helping them to develop the, the confidence to say if something isn't right as well. Um, so again, this, this is... This is almost a bit of self-preservation, I guess, um, so that students don't feel like they just have to take stuff. If something's not right, they can they can um, articulate that and feel confident enough to address it. And then finally, the third one that I thought of was that students are actually really important as well as individuals. Um, and I think the use of English and the development of English skills and being in a classroom where they're um, greeted with authenticity, like you guys were saying, or um, understanding how to use context and language um, can help them to feel that, that importance and, and realise that, like I said at the beginning of this, that the things that they've got to say are actually really relevant and, and um, helping them to feel like they can say that, basically. So what's... Um, What's interesting here is that I haven't asked any, told anybody how many values to come up with and English specialists appear to come up with a rule of three every single time, <laughs> which is quite funny. And I've only just noticed that and it made me laugh. Um, so thank you for the thoughts on that, Mel and Ingrid. Uh, we're now going to move into the discussion part of the podcast um, where I'm going to ask you a question and then we're going to take it in turns to share our thoughts on that but it's not um a thinking environment so if you do want to say something you know just just let us know so what does your specialism look like as a practice of enabling learners to find their voice i'm going to ask ingrid to answer this one first if you will um thank you kate um for me i think developing cultural capital by improving students vocabulary is something that i'm um, I'm really passionate about. Um, so I'll just explain a little bit about um, cultural capital. Um, cultural capital is um, a socialist theory introduced by Pierre Bourdieu, and it focuses on the dominance of a sort of a middle class culture, which then influences a person's success and social mobility. Uh, and he suggested that um, the education system was designed to benefit the middle and upper classes and that it's focused on high culture so middle class students who already have that access to things like art museum visits theatre live music are more likely to succeed in education and it gives them a distinct advantage over students from a lower or working class um, uh, and I think among students from, from different socioeconomic groups or, or with different learning abilities, there's a marked difference in vocabulary knowledge. And unless vocabulary becomes an integral part of everyday classroom practice, 
um, the, the gap among those groups will continue to widen. Um, and, and it makes it harder for low performing groups then to catch up to their peers or, or students from low economic backgrounds. Um, and students who, um, in my experience as well, is, is students who have a low socioeconomic status, who are only familiar with sort of the um, restricted code of their everyday language might find it difficult to um, engage with more um, sophisticated language that's required by um, the learning discourse of the classroom. And, and, and those from middle-class families experience that quite um, regularly in the home lives, which then puts them at an advantage. So in other words, when, when a, a, a child starts school, a, a disadvantaged pupil can't learn and achieve as well as their peers because they've not developed the requisite vocabulary to access and understand the curriculum. Um, and I think that vocabulary building is, is, is vital and a vocabulary rich classroom to allow for word and phrase consciousness is essential to vocabulary and cultural capital and development. And I think as well in my practice, I think it's really important to be considerate of the language that we use because it provides an important model for students vocabulary development and modeling the use of more sophisticated and ambitious words. We can promote students vocabulary growth and word consciousness. Um, so, you know, there are, there are a number of practical activities are, that, that I use, um, particularly at first for confidence building um, in using adject adjectives to describe each other's talents and skills and knowledge and doing that regularly throughout the year, but then building on the words that they use to provide something different will then build that sophisticated vocabulary set. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love the idea of um, using it in order to complement one another as well. What a yeah. brilliant way to build the confidence in a different way. Um, I was doing a bit of reading in preparation for tonight and I was looking at some of the articles on the National Literacy Trust website. Mm -hmm. And one of them was how um, one in 11 children don't own a book. And so, I mean, that kind of that was quite shocking to me. And mm. just like not even one book. Like, our house is full of books you know yeah. um and my kids only four it, it just it, it really brings it home about about how disadvantaged some of these these children are and it can be for all different reasons can't it it could be that the parents don't value reading it could be they can't afford the book um mm. they don't have access to books I, I don't I don't know there's loads of different reasons why that might be um and cultural capital is is a new concept to me that you've you've introduced to me and I think that it really links quite strongly with the social inclusion stuff that, that mm. I've been exploring recently. Um, Mel, what, what does your subject specialism look like as a practice of enabling learners to find their voice? Um, I just wanted to say that it makes me really happy that you've um, just focused on vocabulary because that's something that I really want to try and include more in my own classroom this year. So to hear you speak about how it's made a big difference in your classroom with all your experience it makes me feel much more confident about doing that now this year on my own um, and also just to add that um, the cultural capital and what you were just saying Kate about um, you know finding it a bit of a well I found it a bit of a shock when I got to my classroom the first time and I'd probably say almost all of the learners said that they didn't enjoy reading, they didn't have any books, they didn't own a book. And for me, coming from a degree and a master's degree in English, it just wasn't what I was expecting at all. So I had to sort of readdress my um, expectations, I suppose, and come at everything from a different angle because I was perhaps quite naive in thinking that they were all readers. Whereas no, it, it's really quite... Shocking what you what you uh, come across, and and like from what Kate was saying as well, it, it it's really shocking that that not only students don't read, is that they don't own, that they don't own books, you know, their parents don't read. Um, I remember one student saying to me, an engineering student once, Ingrid, you know, when you read, what goes off in your head, and they didn't they didn't know that they 
thought that reading was just something you did in a classroom to to get knowledge not for anything else that's so interesting isn't it just just yeah and it was like do you think about what you know they would not read any sort of you know rich or adjective rich novels or anything like that even if it's not adjective rich novels it's any novels at all um I found that quite surprising and I think as well it's um I think it's it might not be that you know people don't own books it's that students from a, um, a more disadvantaged background might have parents who work two or more jobs or something and so they don't spend very much time at home or they're too exhausted when they get home from work to read or converse in you know in an effective way with their with the children so it's that as well yeah I think it was quite a shock that the idea of reading for pleasure was completely alien to them yeah they read in the classroom because they have to but other than that there was no um sort of drive or will to read it, mm. it was almost like a punishment reading is a punishment for them and that's an attitude that we need to yeah address quite quickly because obviously you know they need to read to pick up like you were saying to pick up that vocabulary to allow them to access the material properly and then to be able to respond to the material as well but also uh, to to grow their understanding of the world around them yeah. um one of the yeah. other podcasts is about context and and building understanding of um you know different different environments and different experiences um i mean yeah it's it's absolutely baff- baffling when you first come across these students and i remember my very first um set of students who didn't know how many millimetres there were in a centimetre and didn't know the order of the alphabet. And contrasting that with my own experience from, I can literally remember, I have a memory of sitting in the pram reading um, What's the Time, Mr Wolf? And I used to fall asleep with books in my cot. You know, that, that was, that's just been my life. He's just surrounded by books constantly. Um, so I, I found that a big shock. And... Mm. I think that's that's what really made me want to help these students to to be able to access this knowledge because they they didn't appear to have access to it prior to now yeah um there's some other really interesting reading as well by uh, Daniel Rigney and he wrote a book called The Matthew Effect and he he says that um disadvantaged students get more and more disadvantaged over time because they don't possess that sort of foundational knowledge that they need to access and understand the school curriculum and the world around them so that you know it it sort of decreases as they get older mm, yeah they almost have to work twice as hard don't they yeah to even try and keep up yeah and and it's it's probably not that these children are less able or anything but they but they don't have the same that same amount of knowledge to build on about the world as their more sort of fortunate peers who can make sense of that new new information and experiences because they've got that foundational knowledge so mel tell us how um we how you support those students tell us how you've you've identified ways to change your practice from the perspective um of a teacher who's had these experiences now uh, that helps those students to find their voices then I found, I mean, in my limited experience, but I really value discussion and debate as a as a core part of my lessons. Um, teaching GCSE resets, the learners come to me with a very um, negative attitude towards education in general. They haven't had the best time. Um, they they've got this perception of themselves as failures from the start, and that's something that we constantly battle with to try and get them to look at things differently and make sure that they don't see themselves as a failure Um, but because we have these learners who are reluctant with reading or don't enjoy reading discussion seems to be a really good place to start discussion and debate because it allows them to share their opinions in a to them what feels more safe because they haven't got to read they don't necessarily have to write anything down, but they're given time to formulate their opinions, um, have a discussion and communicate with their peers in the classroom. 
So for me, discussion and debate um, is one of the is one of the most important elements where I can just get them thinking first and foremost um, without perhaps you know putting a large piece of text in front of them and getting them to talk about that. It starts with a discussion first, and then we move on to the text, so they can recognise that their opinions are also shared by, you know, these writers or the people who write as their job. They've got the same opinions as them, so they can see that their what they say aloud is just as valued as what somebody else has written down. And for me, that that made quite a big difference in my lessons is moving away from the text almost as a starting point, and then getting them to speak about their thoughts first, getting them to discuss it and argue with each other. I really, really enjoy it when they argue with each other. I think it's a great way to start a lesson. I think there's um, a really nice link between what you and Ingrid are saying here. So where you're, where you're thinking about how discussion and debate can help them to um, express their own thoughts and then show them text where other people are expressing the same thoughts, but perhaps those texts... Um, have that broader vocabulary or that more succinct um, approach to expressing themselves or or potentially those um, language features and, and structural features that we're we need to pick out as well as as you know trying to develop these these young people as as kind of you know holistically as we can um, and really interestingly as well you've you've not purposely um, linked what you feel and what you're saying to the uh, provocation that we we offered to, to you guys on this topic, which is from the Forgotten Third, um, which I keep mentioning this, but it's it's linked so succinctly to everything that we're we're talking about because this is this is the students that we're working with, um, and they talk about how discussion and debate is how we enable our students to become experts in their subjects and their own interests. Um, so yeah, absolutely beautiful place to start. Ingrid, did you want to comment on that at all? Yeah, uh, it's really interesting what Mel was saying about discussion and debate, and it really links back, I think, Mel, to your, your values as to um, being authentic in, in the classroom and being genuine and honest and allowing, allowing students as well in your classroom to feel like they're allowed to be authentic, which then allows them to feel comfortable in articulating themselves during discussion and debate, which is confidence building, which is what, you know, disadvantaged students need a lot of the time. And I think, you, you know, obviously what you're doing is perfectly building what they need to be able to go to a text and talk about it. And, and that, like Kate said, links perfectly to the, forgotten third because th these are the students that we are we are working with quite a lot of the time um and and that is the foundational stuff that that they need is that they first and foremost first and foremost sorry need sort of care um we need to um I suppose espouse the view that their values are inherently important to each other and to us and that they will be used in accordance with a, a writer's opinions as well and values. And I think that's really important um, and really, really interesting that you outlined that, Mel. I think it's I'm just I've been thinking about vocabulary whilst um, whilst I was talking, whilst you've been talking as well. And I think one of the other things that I found quite interesting is that learners because we're English teachers the learners expect us to know all the words to know all the spellings to know to, to always get it right and I think it's really important for us to let them see us make mistakes mm. so that they know that we're human as well or this happens to me quite frequently if I'm writing something on the board if I'm not 100% sure of a spelling I'll tell them so that they know that it's okay to not know how to spell something or it's okay to need to rub it out and rewrite that sentence. Mm -hmm. It's almost modelling mistakes for them mm -hmm. so that they can find comfort in that because they will make mistakes, but that's okay. And I think vocabulary is a really great way to model that because we can edit work, can't we? We can swap words, we can rub things out and start again. 
And I think the vocabulary is a really strong way to do that and show them how swapping a word can change the entire meaning of a sentence or a paragraph. They can change the tone. Um, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to get that out of my brain before we move no, on. I think, I think that's that's a really, really valid point. And um, I mean, I used to always say to students, if they said, how do I spell that? I'd say, I don't know, Google it. So, you know, and, and, and most of the time, maybe I wouldn't know how to spell it, but if I, you know, whether I did or not, it doesn't really matter. It, it's giving them the opportunity to to pick up a phone and go, oh, right, okay, so how do I Google it? It's like, if, if you don't quite get it right and it doesn't find it the first time, try it a few times. That's what we all have to do when we come across those those bigger words that we're trying to use. And it made me think, I've been I've been uh, purposely reading loads this summer. This has been my target to improve my reading. And um, you've really made me see a link between um, Brené Brown's book, Daring Greatly, is, is all about um, it being okay to be vulnerable and showing that. And I've been listening to like podcasts by her as well about daring to lead. So again, it's about, about showing that vulnerability. Um, so by saying to students, I'm not sure about that. You're, be, you're, you're I guess you're daring to teach maybe. <laughs> so you're like, you're showing them a vulnerability and that it's okay to be vulnerable and therefore they can trust you because you ask them questions as well. Um, so yeah, that's 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 really that's really perceptive for um, for any teacher, I think, to see because a lot of teachers maybe don't show that vulnerability, um, and a lot of the a lot of the teachers that I work with um, as a trainee, yeah, as, as a teacher trainer or as um, just a trainer in general, you get a lot of English teachers who actually have got dyslexia who find that because they've got dyslexia or because they didn't, didn't get their GCSE the first time, they can relate to those students and they can help them to find ways to overcome issues and things. Um, and I think that's a really powerful either skill or observation to have as a teacher, specifically in, uh, in FA, because that's what we're facing every day. Um, I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to ask us to move on to the next question, if that's all right, guys. I know we've got loads to say. Um, but the next question is, how does your practice influence change in this context? Um, so feel, feel free to answer this in any way that you like, but I think I'm going to tell a story when it's my turn. <laughs> so Mel, would you like to go first? Tell us how your practice has influenced change in this context so related to enabling learners to find their voice. Um, linking back to uh, discussion and debate, I feel like it's really important that we do our part in preparing the learners for the real world and what comes after college. So moving into employment or further education. And for me, one of like some of the best moments have been when um, a student, say, is really nervous about talking in front of a group or in front of new people. But then a couple of months down the down the line they'll come to you and say oh I had an interview and I got a job and that not necessarily is just to do with communication but it's nice to know that you've had some kind of influence on their ability to communicate in a real context not just in order to pass an exam but in a way that will uh, benefit them in their lives going forwards not just you know how to write things down in, in an exam style response but communicating to their peers or to their new boss or to the customers that they might encounter in these jobs after they've qualified in whatever vocational area it is that they have chosen um and then also I've also got a little story as well um I'm going to beat you to it we love a story <laughs> we are all English teachers after all <laughs> um I, I had um a student who um, was not particularly vocal in lessons until we got to the subject of mental health and using mental health as the sort of starting point for a discussion and debate. Her opinions all of a sudden came through really strongly and she was really passionate about mental health and supporting other people who had mental health issues and the idea that mental health should be spoken about more frequently. And she then went on at the end of 
where are we? At the end of the, the last academic year, she was actually chosen by the college to be uh, like a mental health student spokesperson. And she then um, had to record herself, introducing herself to these new students who were coming to the college and offering her support to these students. And if I was to go back to the start of the year, I never would have imagined that she would be doing something like that. So again, not the entire influence, but it's nice to think that I've had that kind of impact on that learner's life. And her confidence has grown so much after gaining that role as a student sort of support. So I think it's, it's not, for me, it's looking at how I can influence and perhaps improve their experiences outside of the classroom as well. Not just inside in terms of, you know, responding to the questions, but outside and where it can support them in all the other ways that we know that English supports them, but perhaps they weren't aware of because they think it's just to pass the exam, but actually all the skills that we um, encourage them to work on are important in the real world. They just don't perhaps quite know it yet. That's so true about English. It's it's relates to every single interaction that they kind of ever have, doesn't it? And um, it's really interesting that they've moved. Your, that particular student has found her voice through an interest in mental health, because um, research actually says that the the lower the verbal ability, the worse the mental health in in like studies that have been done. Um, than those with the the higher kind of verbal ability. So I wouldn't I wonder if it'd be really interesting to know if this student has um, has improved their own mental health through finding their voice and through um, contributing in this way. And it it sounds it sounds potentially that, that could actually be true because she's gone from being a really really nervous student to somebody who's confident enough to video themselves, which we all know as teachers from the last year how weird it is and how stressful it can be as well. Um, Oh, what a brilliant story. Thanks for that, Mel. Ingrid, what about you? How does your practice influence change in this context? Um, well, I think that it's important that it's that any change that you, you try and implement is not just in your own classroom and share. It's important to share and collaborate uh, with others um, via the creation of sort of uh, student-focused initiatives that and those changes can be, can be um, implemented across an institution. So for example, delivering training or delivering CPD sessions or delivering a particular project, um, which I'm working on at the moment where I work is um, creating sort of a, a project where students can, it's an incentivized one, where students can have something tangible that will allow them to then articulate how they have developed a particular skill. And it's that, that skill will then allow them to build their vocabulary in describing how they've done it. And then, and that relates back to what Mel has been doing is that discussion and debate about things that are important to you and what skills you've learned um, allows students to go on and go to a, um, feel confident enough to go to a, a job interview and articulate themselves and then articulate their skills. And I think that's important that, that these types of changes are available to all students. And it's about collaborating with, with colleagues um, across you know, lots of different divisions within a college. Um, but I think that, you know, and, and that is, um, it's really important that building cultural capital in that way is done on sort of a um, sort of a, a broadened basis, really. Um, and and I really like what what Mel's talked about with discussion and debate, and it's it, it's planning those group work activities in the classroom, which then provide an opportunity for sort of the the students who are or could be deemed as word poor to um, mingle with with the word rich and to hear language being used by students of their own age in ways that they might not otherwise encounter so it's providing 
you know, setting up initiatives for allowing students to collaborate in that particular way. And, and you can do that by discussion and debate. Um, but I also think that um, I, I like to ensure that students or disadvantaged students in particular have equal access to um, a knowledge rich diet, I suppose, and and by providing cultural experiences in addition to not in place of the main curriculum um, that could include museum and gallery visits live gigs or mentors who talk with the students about what's happening in the world or reading a daily newspaper with them at lunchtime or something you know is is critically important to them progressing and feeling confident uh, so that they can find their voice and they can articulate themselves in, in a way that um, is comparable to their more advantaged peers. That was pretty mind-blowing, Ingrid, what you just shared there. So much, so much stuff that you just said that was really interesting. And it's making me think about my own practice. And I've just been scribbling notes about how cultural capital can link to the teacher training and um yeah that's really it's given me a lot to think about <laughs> um so mel do you want to respond by saying anything to ingrid um i've just found that really interesting ingrid and what you were saying about a knowledge rich diet um kind of resonates with me because like i say i'm teaching GCSE English language resets so grade four is the magic number but actually um it's we should be teaching to the top for all students so allowing them access to more complicated texts just because um we know that they might struggle with it initially doesn't mean that they shouldn't experience it um we should be providing them with a rich knowledge rich diet of extracts and speeches and articles and as much as we can possibly give them in the short year that we have them coming it all in there i love the idea of stretching students and um giving them kind of access to things that people might not necessarily think that they um could access or, or have the ability to access and um, my little story kind of links quite nicely to that about giving students a voice. Um, one of my students, she was, it, it was quite a long time ago where I ended up with one student left in the class and um, we'd done all the exam prep, we'd done lots of uh, interesting, exciting things, but she still just couldn't, couldn't quite manage to pass that exam. And I decided to do something a bit, a bit random with her and show her that her opinion did matter so like what she could write persuasively and um she could she had information that was worth sharing and so we wrote to the queen and <laughs> she was like well what am I going to say to the queen I'm like I'm just you know I'm just me and um let's call her Jodie so I said well Jodie you you are part of the United Kingdom, you know, you, you live in, in the Queen's country. So I'm sure she wants to know all about you. She said, what, what can I say about myself? And I said, well, tell her what your aspirations are. Tell her what you're doing at, at college, um, you know, what you're training for and, and just tell her about yourself. So bless her, she indulged me and she did it. And she wrote to the Queen and she got a letter back, not from the Queen, but from the Queen's like, you know, second in command, Bezzy or whoever she was. Um, but the fact that she got a Buckingham Palace stamped letter back that said things like, um, oh, Jodie, it's wonderful to hear all about your um, experience at the college and um, what you'd like to do with your life. And it was just so nice, so nice that I photocopied it and gave me down a copy who absolutely loves the Queen. But it's I always come back to this story because I just think she didn't think she was good enough for anybody to listen to what she had to say. And yet we managed to think of the, enough to say to the Queen that she got a response and it's like it just shows it just shows students I think doing silly things like that um you know it shows them they can write to anybody doesn't matter doesn't matter who they are you know they're, they're somebody worth worthwhile a response from even the queen you know um so I've always always kept that with me as a little story about um I guess development in in self-worth I suppose which helps them to see that that they can share really interesting stuff um 
Has anybody else got anything they want to add to that? Maybe. Um, I um, used to work with the apprentices and um, they used to have to sit functional skills and they very much like you, Mel, saw it as a tick box exercise where they just needed it for their qualification. As soon as they got it, they never had to do it again. And I had one mature student who um, didn't read, didn't read a newspaper, didn't see the point of it, but wanted to get better, which was great. And one particular day, he um, had got a parking fine and he, he wanted to uh, appeal. But um, we all know that um, the powers that be in the um, car parking um, ticket office, wherever, they're, wherever they are on the car parking cloud in the sky, um, they don't accept verbal appeals. You have to write them or write an email to appeal a car parking notice. And he said, oh, I'm not doing it then. Can't be asked. I'm not doing it. If I can't talk to him up phone, I'm not doing it. So basically, I spent a load of time with him talking about how um, coaxing him to write a, a letter to them. And he wrote them an email in his own way, contesting this car parking fine. And um, he got off with it. <laughs> Didn't have to pay 60 quid. That's and he amazing. was like, I can't believe I've done that. It was brilliant. That is so amazing. That, that just shows him, doesn't it? It shows him that the, the power of having literacy skills. Absolutely. And, and it was a very practical, you know, he actually didn't have to pay any money. Yeah, so. that's amazing. Mm. I always say that I'm not an English specialist. I'm just a blagger. I can blag anything. <laughs> that's the beauty yes. of having English as a specialism. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for that. Um, got loads of ideas about what I can take into the classroom from what you guys have spoken about tonight. So that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. We're going to finish off now with um, a freshest thinking round. So I'm going to ask you what your freshest thinking is. And um, we're doing it in a thinking environment. So again, listening intently to one another, take your time. Uh, no one will interrupt you. And when you finish, say over to the next person, please. So Ingrid, what is your freshest thinking? Um think how how all three of us have come from very different places um, and with very different experiences and how all of our thoughts and values and ideas have linked together so perfectly today in this podcast and it's really given me so much to think about and lots of inspirational things that both you Mel and Kate have said that has you know, in, inspired me and motivated me to um, incorporate different things in, into my practice. Um, and that we've sort of collaborated so vehemently um, in a way that perhaps subconsciously we don't know. And that will perhaps come about in the next few days when I start thinking back on what, what Kate said and what Mel said. And, uh, you know, and I think Although now I feel I've got so much to take away, I know that there's going to be so much more for me to take away just from these couple of hours. Um, and I feel really quite excited. And thank you. Over to you, Mel. Um, I think I would like to start by saying thank you to you, Bess, Ingrid and Kate, because I am going to go away from this with lots of ideas um, things to incorporate into my lessons. I'm currently thinking about a PowerPoint that I put together today and some slides that I want to add in now and tweak a little bit. Um, but also um, just being being involved in something like this as a, as a new teacher really helps with the old imposter syndrome. So being able to discuss these ideas and our practice and values it really does um give me confidence to run with my ideas and and to hear your thoughts are very similar and very aligned with all of your experience it, it does give me um hope that what I'm about to do in this academic year is going to make a difference however small that might be to just the one learner or hopefully to more of them but I think being involved in something like this is definitely a confidence boost and I would encourage anyone to get involved in it. And also 
how every time I take part in a thinking environment, I love it more and more each time. And I'd like to try, I'm not sure how, but I'd like to try and use it in the classroom, use the thinking environment in my classroom as well. I've just got to think about the logistics of it. But yeah, over to you, Kate. Thank you so much, Mel. Um, so my freshest thinking is, once again, that I'm just really grateful for, for you guys to, um, who have you know given me your time on a late on a Tuesday evening um, to share your, your thoughts on this topic. And um, from Mel, I've, I definitely am gonna use this idea of um, debate and discussion with my trainee teachers um, and then following that, show them some literature about the topic um, and then get them to pick out um, maybe some of the terminology, things like that as, as a model of what they can do with their own students, no matter what their vocational subject is or um, like whatever the subject is. And then from Ingrid, I'm, I'm fascinated by this cultural capital. I'm gonna go read loads more about that. Um, so yeah, lots and lots of things to take away. And as Ingrid said, I'm just, I'm just so, um, I'm blown away by how each of us feels almost exactly the same about those individual students and um, how we can help them and, and hopefully improve their lives. And I hope the people who've listened to this have, have found some things that they can take from us um, from this discussion. And I hope this relationship will continue for a long time yet because there's already things that I feel like we can collaborate on just from this discussion. So that's amazing. Um, and other than that, I'm going to just say that that's about the end of the time that we've got. Um, thank you so much, Mel and Ingrid, for everything you've said. Um, don't know if you want to say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, thank Bye you. Bye, everyone. Oh, sorry. Yeah, thank <laughs> thank you everyone so, yeah thank thanks you. for having me kate lovely to um talk to you mel and see you later yeah thanks for inviting me to join this discussion um like i said i've got lots of ideas to go away and incorporate into my lessons now and i very much look forward to listening to the other episodes as well to see what everybody else has been up to brilliant thanks so much we hope our thinking has sparked some innovative thoughts around your own practice. Thank you so much for listening.